Well, hello and welcome everybody to the Parents Engaging Parents podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alterese Frazier. I want to thank you guys for coming through. I am the co-founder, parent organizer, and definitely a parent of five beautiful children. Um, my daughter is the youngest. It's, you know, her world, and we just in it. Uh, PP Parents Engaging Parents, was created to spread the importance and the information and give a platform for the parent voice to give us the opportunity to share information, not just amongst ourselves as parents, but also with educators, supporters of education reform and understanding that we can't continue to educate our children in a mass manner, that we really need to see the identification of individuality in our babies and our scholars and see how we can really move forward to that type of energy. And it's going to come with the organizing of that energy, that community of parents, um, students, educators, and even people who support that energy. And that's what we're here to today, guys. So I definitely want to um, thank you here. We're going to be talking about an, an important topic that has been surfacing in the state of New Jersey. It's actually um, a second part series. I had um, Bar Jeffries of um, edu- um, um, Democrats for Education Reform, and also had Kyle Rosencraft, who is also a civil rights lawyer and an individual who is definitely engaged heavy on seeing um, heavy reform going into our education. But today I have with us Tom Johnson, who is of Johnson Law Firm, um, a law firm here in New Jersey who has worked closely in this conversation and this um, energy. And then I also have with me Dr. Um, Surrogate, um, educator, also a chief executive officer of Central Jersey's Charter um, Prep um, Charter Prep. Prep Charter School. Thank you. And, and the Middlesex County Charter School in Perth too. Okay, okay. And so I want to thank you guys for coming. And if I could give you guys a um, opportunity to introduce yourself to the um, to the listeners and understand, you know, what, why you're here today in this conversation. So I want to start with you, Thomas. Sure, Algeris. This is a pleasure being here. Uh, thank you for the invite. Uh, I'm uh, yeah. I'm Tom Johnston. We have Johnston Law Firm in Montclair. We're the only law firm in New Jersey that's exclusively dedicated to serving charter schools. Uh, I do have. Uh, extensive background, also representing traditional school districts. Um, and uh, my experience is irrelevant to today's discussion because charter schools are seemingly being targeted with accusations of uh, segregation. Um, and uh, and so um, uh, we pretty much represent uh, about a third of all charter schools in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. okay. And Dr. Well, thank you for inviting. This is so exciting for me. Uh, I'm Nami Surgeon. I am the Chief Education Officer over at the Central Jersey College Prep Charter School and the brand new Charter School in Perth and Boy, Middlesex County STEM Charter School. And uh, I have an intensive background in, in starting and operating charter schools in, in multiple states, including Texas. Uh, Georgia, and I helped group to develop charter schools in, in uh, many southeastern states mm-hmm. in the United States. And this is my third year in New Jersey, okay. and, uh, and I've seen a lot of differences as far as the charter operation is concerned. And uh, it's just tied into segregation allegations. Okay. I'm excited to discuss this matter. And, and look forward to a robust conversation. Well, I definitely thank you for that. And so the listeners definitely know that my children, um, I have three 
um, school-age children who are attending charter schools. And so they definitely know my energy is heavy on charter schools. And because charter schools has been invited to this conversation, somehow I definitely want to talk on that. But before we go on that, can we get a little understanding about the current issue of segregation in New Jersey when it comes to um, because the actual lawsuit or the energy is focused on the Department of Education, yet there's an energy in it that is focused on also charter schools in that fight. But can we talk to the grand understanding of what the suit is even about? Sure. Uh, I think you're speaking of the the action that was brought by a plaintiff named Latino Action Network and multiple other community-based organizations that were plaintiffs. Um, they are uh, alleging that um, not just in the charter school space, but for other school districts, that there is a, um, a, a, a segregation uh, between the races and ethnicities in New Jersey okay. that is uh, unconstitutional. Um, and uh, and it, it, it's built upon um, case law that dates back to Brown v. Board of Education okay. um, that there, there is um, a... a an abhorrence of segregation in the schools, um, what the most recent litigation does is it explicitly um, likens the uh, segregated housing patterns in New Jersey to uh, segregation in the schools. It, it points out some pretty obvious imbalances of housing patterns in New Jersey that I don't think any reasonable person could dispute. Um, and um, what, what I think it does a bit unfairly is it draws uh, a direct correlation with there being, therefore, unlawful segregation in the schools, particularly okay. against charter schools. Um, but that's um, that's the reason why lately there's a lot of discussions in the charter school space. Um, one of the the items that you can use to attack charter schools um, is to uh, allege that they're exasperating segregation in the public schools. Okay. Um, the charter school law itself explicitly encourages the growth of charter schools. And so if you're uh, a charter school opponent, there's only a few things you could do with that kind of statutory foundation. And one is to point to the part of the law that requires that the charter school be open to all students. Mm -hmm. um, and so charter schools are not new to responding to accusations of segregation. Um, what the recent developments have caused, has put, have put into question is whether that the entire New Jersey residency-based school system is itself in its entirety unlawful and unconstitutional. Okay. Dr. Sergeant, um can could can we um talk a little bit about how that um energy focused on charter schools and being a part of segregation and um any energy that you may even have received, know about or in that community in regards to segregation at schools like this your own. Well, actually, segregation, I, I do think there must be a differentiation between segregation. I, I want to bring up a term, positive segregation, that has to be considered. Child. I'm, I'd like to discuss it a little bit. You know, charter schools serve specific missions. Mm -hmm. And if there's a high need area where you have a lot of poverty, yes. dominated by a certain ethnicity. I'll, I'd, I'd like to use Percambo. It's a great example. 90% of the uh, of the the population is Hispanic, and when you open a school, 
it is so reasonable and expected that 90% of your students will be Hispanic. So it's segregation. But if you have a specific mission to elevate that community by offering a program that's not offered traditional public schools, mm-hmm. it, it's quite all right. I mean, even if you seem to be in quotation segregating, but at the same time you're serving the community with a with a more efficient and better program that's not available at traditional public schools. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And number two, uh, as far as, well, it, as you're aware, once I extended, once I am, once we amended the charter of the traditional public schools through the state department that we are increasing the segregations in traditional public school type of stuff. And, and you know, as the quality increases in charter schools, and it happens across the nation that, you know, particular community or particular ethnicities pay more attention to quality schools and get more applications from them. And it's inevitable. It's beyond the control of the charter school. And uh, and like Tom said, the, the essence or the root of this problem is this hardness segregation. Quite honestly, it's even beyond the education matters. It's, it's a whole... To me, it's a whole socioeconomic problem that the townships are so segregated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's beyond the education. I do think this litigation, if something comes, if something positive comes out of this, it's gonna spread around the, you know, how the townships are established, how the school districts are established, how the. It's gonna expose the actual segregation right here in our own state. Period. Yes. And then that's that's the problem. And you know, the state charter school law uh, requires the petitioner when when you start the charter when you want to petition for a charter school, you have to define your attendance zone. If, yes. if the attendance zone is segregated itself, then then it's inevitable that you know your your student body is going to represent that the community in that area, and then you know. You're opening yourself to litigation like this, this that you're gonna be segregating, and and uh, the problem, uh, and and Tom helped us draft uh, a, a, a statement in that man. The problem is beyond the charter school sector, beyond the education. Mm-hmm. The problem is a statewide problem. If you wanna get to the bottom of this issue, and uh, and I just think I you know there might be several. Uh, potential solutions to this, and mm-hmm. each of them has pros and cons. It has to be discussed at the legislative level and then and from a practical perspective. But to me, the allegation, segregation allegation is not specific to education or charter schools, only it's a broader problem that has to be Now, you, so that was deep in the manner of, as a parent, who's not an education or educate, um, educate, educator or a lawyer. So as a parent, we're, you, it just opened up like, wow, okay, so we're saying New Jersey is showing, it could come out that this uh, this um, issue could come out that it shows New Jersey is a segregated state, period. Now that, you know, brings us as in a position where, okay, if that's the case, then what are, what are we to do is as a parent or as a taxpayer or as a person in our community when this is suited against the, the Department of Education, yet it's 
being smeared or is being presented as if it's only the Department of Education. It's not being presented as, listen, this is a statewide issue that we need to engage into. Because like I said, somebody approached me about it. And was like, we got to get in the fight. I need you in this. Yet, in my head, it's like, this is, how can it be a segregation in the Department of Education where if you take a city like Newark, and they put a charter school in the south ward of Newark and the west ward of Newark and the central ward of ward of Newark because that's where, unfortunately, the most poverty and the lack of a strong quality education has been given in our city, as a lot of us believe. Because if we go to other parts of our city, maybe you talk about the north ward or the east ward, we have blue ribbon schools in the east ward. You know, we believe we have high quality um Education that's coming out of our North Ward and in a high scale, yet the South Ward, Central Ward, and East Ward isn't. Yet, who's in those wards? Right. And there's a lot, obviously, of um, black and brown children, uh, more heavy um, brown children um, are starting to um, spear across the whole city, which is great. Yet, to say that a child that's a Caucasian or Asian is not allowed to come to a charter school in, in the East, I'm excuse me, in the Central Ward. South War or West War is not true. They're not attending or they don't live in those areas to that level to choose to go to a traditional public school or a charter school. They may go to private school. So it gets confusing because we're getting bombarded with information, but we have no levels to fighting back. What do you suggest to parents? What do do we to do um, to be engaged, to be advocates? On this because you can only do but so much. Right. You know, you're an educator, you know, and uh, out here on the ground level, you know, you get paid to do this. Right. So at the end of the day, you're fighting for you. You know, you're a lawyer, but you're, you're a client. <laughs> oh, y'all get paid to do this. We, only thing we, only thing we get out of this is our babies go there and we're expecting a great education, yet they're saying the Department of Education is segregated. Mm-hmm. What do we do that? Well, I'd like to make a note that, Talk to you. you know, this if this litigation becomes successful, it's kind of, we can predict some of the practical implications, but I'd like to make a note that the New Jersey has also one of the most successful charter sectors in the nation, mm-hmm. especially in the area of Newark and Camden. And, and all charter schools, if we use the same definition of segregation that they use in that litigation, then those charter schools should not exist as at all, like they shouldn't have been in operation, but at the same time, by the Stanford Credit Study, which is more rigorous, the most rigorous study across the nation conducted on the you know charter schools okay. it also demonstrates the success of charter schools in Camden area and Newark area. It, I mean, this kind of litigation, whether it is intended or unintended, is undermining the the yeah. service. The, the success of the, the schools in that area. Yeah, I think one of the challenges is the litigation concerns a very provocative topic, segregation. Right. right. And that can uh, that elicits feelings, understandably, but it can also create confusion because if you do a close reading of the complaint, it actually advances a pro-charter school narrative unintentionally. Right. Because they they correctly acknowledge mm-hmm. that having municipal boundaries dictate your school district um, to set your educational destiny is a bad thing. 
And that's a charter school concept. Yes. Right. right. That's a concept that's been embedded in the charter school law for 20 years. Right. That funding for schooling should follow the students. So when you ask, you know, how can we present this to parents, first, my first response is um, the solution is parent empowerment. It's you having the ability to choose where you want your child to go, and it's your ability not to be locked into schooling based on your zip code. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and uh, it, so the charter school is on the ground. If you measure it by students served, resources dedicated, clearly is the leader in offering a model on how this works. Uh, it's, there are some charter schools uh, like uh, Vista Surgeons. Um, there's also one in East Brunswick that um, Hitikva International Academy Charter School that serves students from uh, over a dozen school districts. Mm -hmm. uh, there's one in Marstown Unity Charter School that serves students from 31 school districts, including so-called Abbott districts. What about the one uh, Hoboken? In Hoboken as well, are serving students from outside the boundaries of Hoboken, and so you have. So, and it's going both ways. You have some students from wealthier communities who are sending their children to so-called urban districts. Okay. And then you have students in urban districts like New Brunswick who are sending students to Hitikva, uh nearby in East Brunswick. And, and and so that's why parent empowerment is at the is at the core of the solution. Um, and you're allowing the parents to decide for themselves how they want their student to be served. In the Latino Action Network litigation, uh, they articulate solutions, and I'm convinced that they unintentionally uh, promoted the charter school yeah. narrative uh, because their solutions are sort of like charter school light. It's uh, a voluntary inter-district magnet school system. So a parent who um, lives in Verona uh, wants to send their child to Montclair, and there is a system in place to allow that to occur. Well, that's that's the existing charter school reality on the ground. Um, and uh, so that's, that's and in order to accomplish that, you need policy change. So how do you have policy change? And that's, that's uh, activism, that's public advocacy, that's lobbying, that's grassroots. Um, it's, it's just, it's old school democracy. It's getting the attention of your elected representatives and, and trying to um, balance the other interests that are against Mm -hmm. um, the school choice movement. And school choice is not just charter schools. There's other forms of school choice um, and other forms of public school choice, like the inter-district magnet type system. Um, right. And so the answer is, you know, looking inward and saying the solution is us. It's the parents. It's the parents. It's empowering parents. And, and having the focus on, on the student and educational outcomes. You know, one thing that's striking, I, I had a case that's still pending. It's the Education Law Center case. Uh, they're the folks who, uh, rightly, now 20, uh, over 20 years ago, called out the gross disparity in funding in urban districts compared to suburban districts in New okay. Jersey. But unfortunately, since that groundbreaking um, court victory, they've sort of steered um, against the, the charter school mission. In my view, those two philosophies are harmonious. There's no reason why there needs to be conflict. Education Law Center doesn't view it that way. And so they view charter schools as a threat. So they brought a lawsuit challenging the expansion of enrollment in Newark. Um, and what they've done is they've 
just highlighted that uh, where you have a high concentration of students of color, you have a high concentration of students of color who attend schools. Mm-hmm. And so you use the Newark example, which is a terrific example. The East Ward doesn't have a single blessed charter school. Not a single charter school is mm-hmm. in the East Ward. Um, and so when you look at the aggregate statistics and you see that the majority of charter school students in Newark are African-American, well, it's because the majority of charter schools that are located in Newark are in African-American neighborhoods. Exactly. And, and that's, that's the reason. Uh, and, but in that case, to tell you how, um, how radically different one could view this policy issue, um, they attack the charter schools for accepting students from outside of Newark. Imagine that. Imagine that 20 years ago when Newark was taken over by the state of New Jersey, mm-hmm. where you have students from outside of Newark whose parents are sending their children to Newark to attend public school. Um, and, and Team, KIPP, many other charter schools have students from outside of Newark who attend those schools. Mm-hmm. So that's a terrific illustration of one path to solving this problem. The other is not an education policy challenge. It's a housing policy challenge. Uh, we've known since uh, the Mount Laurel cases mm. uh, that this is an incredibly complex issue. Mount Laurel cases. Mount Laurel is a case from uh, 30 some odd years ago. The state of New Jersey uh, found that a zoning ordinance in Mount Laurel uh, was unlawful because it had the effect of exasperating segregation in that area, given the rules that were created um, in terms of zoning in Mount Laurel. And so the Mount Laurel body of cases have uh, tried to create a a system of remedies to combat the housing segregation in New Jersey. Um, And that has not been, I don't think anyone would say that that's been a glowing success. It has not, because we still have an excessively uh, imbalanced population in within New Jersey. We have many pockets of municipalities where there's predominantly white people right. and we have urban centers that are, are predominantly persons of color. Right. Um, Mount Laurel uh, is the body of case law that points that out, but there's still not a solution to it. There's still an unacceptable degree of racial imbalance in the communities. Um, it just happens to be that because the school system is residency based, it also exasperates in the public schools. But charters offer the real-world model where you can cross a municipal boundary and send your kid to public school. That's interesting, too, because that's another question I wanted to ask. How would it, so we did, you know, go into this as there is segregation into the schools. Okay, how would it look to integrate them? And is that really something that is real in regards that there's a parent in Cedar Grove that's going to send their child to Irvington and vice versa. Is that even possible as if, as if it was at one point when in what 1960s or the before when they were integrating that that was forced upon community. I don't see that possible now that they're going to be parents who are openly going to make sure that there's no segregation because they're going to volunteer a crop of their children to come over to Irvington or come into Camden or go to Atlantic City to be educated and kids from those communities coming into this, like, really? Yeah, yeah, that, it begs the question, you know, are we, are we getting real now? You know, like, do we expect, um, you know, people who live in a community for the so-called good schools to 
then send their kids to uh, an urban center where there's like so-called bad schools, you right. know, um, to meet this segregation crime. Meet, like, this I, I'd like to give you, a, well, this is a very recent example that, that I've been going to just about a month ago with Dribble Lottery. And as you all know, I'm opening a satellite campus in New Brunswick. It's the extension to uh, to my main campus in Somerset. Mm-hmm. CJCP Central Jersey College Prep has three townships in their attendance zone. You know, New Brunswick, North Brunswick, and, and Franklin. So even though the quality of the education is going to be the same, we're sending teachers from our central central campus, the same curriculum, same instructional structure, and everything. The same quality. The exact same quality. The parents of Franklin are head and North Brunswick, even though it's closer. Parents of North Brunswick and, and Franklin are hesitant to send their kids to my New Brunswick campus. They all prefer Somerset, even though the only difference is the location. Everything else is the same. Like you said, let's get real. Yeah. I mean, the integration is not, there are other motivating factors or factors that should be considered when you talk about integration. Just the difference of location made a lot of impact on the parents' choice. This happened just two weeks ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago. And I had to have a separate session with parents wow. that are assigned to New Brunswick. And I, ha- I had to convince them why it wouldn't matter whether to send the kids to Central, you know, the main campus or New Brunswick, even though everything is just the same. And the, the location matters, absolutely. And uh, you know, parents, they have an impression that the, yes. the location of the school is tied into the quality, which may be the case in some cases, but in some cases, not the case. I mean, and we have a demonstrated success in the main campus, and we're going to replicate the exact same model in New Brunswick. Since it is New Brunswick, the parents are not as motivated to send their kids to the location. It's what you're right, and and, that, and that's where I wanted to, I, I wanted to take it there because I see that as a right. parent I see that I don't see I see obviously there is definitely an issue with uh, energy in this state. Yet when we talk about okay, so what are some of the solutions? If one of them is not even that the parents are willing to send their children from Franklin Township to the other one right. simply because of um, geographic, yeah. like, and, and I want to also, if I could, bring in cultural. You know, a lot of these towns were created in that energy of being segregated and right. being with, like, you know, I was, you know, a, a word, um, a phrase I heard some time back. You know, sundown towns, where at the end of the day, like, nah, they don't want nobody. They want this. Everybody else got to get out of town by the time the sun comes. So. It's understood. So, yeah, so they do create their education and they create the system in their town. So when you say, wait a minute, listen, now it's 20, 40 years later, we can give you the same quality education in this other town. <laughs> nah, like I'm not even going nowhere close to the other town because this is where it is. And I know it's not like that over here because this is how we created. And this thing got way past how you started it back 1940, 1960. It's 2019. It's way past that. You're, you're exactly right. You know, it, uh, given the groundbreaking importance of Brown v. Board of Education, yeah. we understand 
the opinion. We appreciate it. We're very thankful for that decision that changed our country for the better. Uh, but today, the suggestion that a high-achieving charter school in Newark that's predominantly students of color, that's outperforming suburban whiter districts, is intrinsically bad, in my view, is insulting. Exactly. Yeah. And so we, we need to look at this through a modern lens. And in my view, the Latino Action Network case is still looking through it through the Brown v. Board of Ed lens. Uh, obviously, it's an important case for contextual historical purposes, but we got to look at where we are today. Exactly. Well, and, and, I, and I'm glad we, we, we opened to, to saying that and coming from whatever level, educator, lawyer, parent, where, come on, we got the table. It's about our babies. We know exactly where things are, unfortunately, at and where they should be. Yet we have to focus on where they're at and where they're at. There's a whole culture in this state and this energy that keeps us locked into this way of governing and, 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 and decision-making. And if we won't be honest and have those conversations, it is hard for parents to come to the table when we know there's inequity. You know, we know where there's there's people who make decisions for the whole state. What, 1.4 million children are educated in this state? Yet the people that make the decisions for that population don't all represent that population. So we not even we don't want to have that we don't want to respectfully have that conversation, not just at the state level, all the way down to our local levels. And that's where when I said what the parents do, I don't when you said empower the parents, yes, because we won't really have a real conversation about segregation for real. It ain't just in our schools, it's in our a lot of our systems. You know, across this state and from all over. So I'm really fascinated on, you know, how do we continue to get the parents to get not so much past this, but really understand it and call it for what it is and really see how not so much true in the horn of charter schools, but we're talking about children need to be creative learners, continuous learners, and we've built systems that have worked for that because I'm sure they say the same thing about the county magnet schools that they became inventive and creative and they're giving up. I don't see the same energy when it comes to segregation and conversations on those levels as high as it is on the um, charter schools because I, and it's my belief, county um, magnet schools definitely have a level of segregation in them. You know, I'm going to call that a spade because that's what I see. You know, so to not put the picture on specific and make it, make it a broad thing that they throw something else in there because that's I just don't believe that. Go ahead. Um, when you have eligibility requirement for a school, it's going to be automatic to segregate it in states like New Jersey mm. because it's a matter of access to the opportunities, meaning that if your parents are well-educated, if you have computers in an anatomy, if you have resources that are available to you, your likelihood of getting into those schools is higher. Yes. And, and the it, it, system is overall, it's rare. But at the same time, I do think uh, the good thing about, you know, the, the education being left to the state is because you have varying models across the state. Well, I'd like to use the example from, from Texas, which is similar to what there is in in the state of New Jersey, as far as the charter school law is concerned. The, the charters 
are approved by the state okay. and they the state each chartered school is a state school and it's considered its own district but unlike new jersey they don't have any kind of attendance any you when okay. you when you propose the charter school to the doe you tell them where you're going to be located for example we're going to austin for example mm-hmm. You tell them you're going to be located in the city of Boston, but any student who resides in Texas, Texas can attend, and, and they have the same equal opportunity to get into that school. The difference in New Jersey is that when you have a defined attendance zone, you have to give preference to, to students who live in that attendance zone. And at the time of lottery, you have to have separate schools. Or you know, one for students coming from the attendance, the fine attendance zone, and one for everybody else. And you have to, by the statute, come that third expert, you have to fill the available spaces with students coming from your attendance zone. It it creates issues. And uh, but I think if charter schools, if we can expand the area where you can matriculate students from, I do think there's a better opportunity with mindful promotion of the schools. There's a better opportunity to have balanced demographics uh, in, in the school. Yeah the, the, yeah, the charter school law requires that in the lottery admission process, you give residents of the local district where the charter is located right. preference. preference. Which is understandable in my eyes. Well, it's interesting. It's it's well, it advances the policy of you know taxpayers getting a sense that their dollars are being used locally. Uh huh. Um, but it also, I think, unintentionally, okay. feeds into a dynamic of blocking in students in underperforming districts because right. Talk I a little live, bit more what that means. I live, I live two miles. Two and a half miles from the North Ward border okay. on Bloomfield. Okay. North Ward. I live in Glen Ridge. Uh, I have no opportunity to send my daughter to a charter school in Newark. That's this one of the so-called high achieving charter That's schools. What you're saying. Okay. Because they there's excessive demand for those charter slots. The mm-hmm. uncommons, the kips of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Treats, which is not far from where I live, um, and so. Even if I wanted to send my child to that school, I would be blocked out. Um, and so what it does is it sort of locks in the high concentration of students of color because of the residency preference. And and the residency preference is a mandate. You, you must allow the local students to have preference in the lottery process. Um, and so it's, it's sort of a remnant of the kind of home rule local mentality, which I think is part of the problem. Um, and so one of the solutions, it's not necessarily one that all charter schools are prepared to accept, gotcha. is what um, Mr. Surgeon suggested, which is just to do away with the residency mandate. And in fact, the Tino Action Network, one of their recommendations is to do away with the mandate. Um, I, 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 uh, I'm not in a position now to know one way or another how that impacts every single charter school. But, but I think there is truth to this suggestion that, um, that if we want to have students crossing municipal boundaries, uh, that that's an impediment. Now, even with that 
mandate, the residency preference mandate, there's still students crossing boundaries. Because I'm going to ask you that because I know you take a charter school like Link. I know that they serve the county, their, their children. It's not just the city of North. Yeah, Belmar. I know there's a charter school in Belmar. They're not just from Belmar. They come from it, her family, excuse me, Asbury Park. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. It occurs a few ways. One is that someone, just stick with Newark, mm-hmm. is, a, is a KIPP student, and they move to Bloomfield. Yes. And the parent says, we're going to opt out of our local school district. We're going to keep our children at team. So there we have students crossing boundaries. Another is if a charter school expands their local district definition to essentially include what's called a, a region of residence. Okay. Uh, and and they, the districts have to be contiguous. Um, and I believe, uh, I believe Hope Academy Charter School has a region of residence. So they draw students from multiple towns exactly. who get preference. Uh, so that's the other way where it's not. And then the third way is kind of the Glen Ridge scenario I gave, which is there just happens to be an opening at the grade level that you want your child to enter. And then, and there's no local parents who want to send their kids there, so you get a slot and you go. So that's a third way to do it. Um, the suggestion by the plaintiffs in the Latino Action case is to just do away with residency preference and just to allow free selection across municipal boundaries of students to get into um, their school. Um, the counter argument to that is, I think, perhaps what maybe you're getting at, which is um, there's a system. You know, we're talking a lot about Newark, but Newark's a good case study. In Newark, where um, Newark students are getting exceptional educational outcomes in Newark. Coming and out so of decades of... Rather than <laughs> celebrate that, are we now going to radically restructure now what we're doing in Newark? And how does that impact my child, who's getting exceptional results yeah. in Newark, unlike their predecessors 20 years ago? Yes. So it's a complicated That's what I was definitely, yeah. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. cause to your point earlier, and you know, I'm proud to say that it's chunks and that energy of coming up with a system like a charter school, it saved a lot of young men and women. You know, my people know exactly who I am and celebrate it. I come from that school-to-prison pipeline. Right. So it's not even a secret. So it's like, oh, like, because I'm not – it's a lot of decades of this happening in Camden, Asbury Park, Atlantic City, Trenton, Jersey City. So it's like we get it yet, then that means that those same now those seats are now taken because but they're needed and so it gets weird because is if five parents or five children from Glenridge come over here, is five kids from um Irvington or North gonna come to Glenridge? And and that's because because that's only fair, yeah. you know, because cause a lot of times, to your point, you want to go to the high-performing charter school, great. Some parents okay with culture. Like, my child is not the A-plus student, so I want my child to go to a school where they ain't got to worry about fighting, they ain't got to worry about, they can be artistic, I mean, art, um, show they are, their, their, their culture and who they are, and that be celebrated, so that might be at Glenridge. So yeah. I want my child to go over there to that performing arts school or da da da. So I get that, but if it ain't vice versa, like if it ain't okay on on their side, then it's not fair that they over here. And that's just on the grassroots us parents trying to figure out yeah, this argument. Right. Like, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Well, here's an interesting thought, which I, I which 
it doesn't, I think, get enough attention. The charter school law itself encourages the growth of charter schools in urban districts. It doesn't exclude suburban districts, but encourages it. And then as time has gone by, you, you saw the highest rate of objection to a charter school forming in the suburban districts. And the, in my view, the fallacy is, well, we don't need charter schools. Um, but another way of making that point is to say, go ahead and tinker with the public school system in the urban centers. Just, just don't tinker with ours. Right. And based on my experience representing both traditional districts and urban ones, is all school districts have challenges. And the suburban districts on a whole generally outperform the urban districts. But that's because the students are starting 20 yards ahead. Talk about right? it, that gap. <laughs> you know, and with the achievement gap. And so that's why there's a difference. And so the, the notion of we don't need we don't need charter schools that's that's a fallacy. But because of that dynamic, your example of well, what about my North child attending the school in Glen Ridge? That is not likely going to occur because the Glen Ridges, the Montclairs of the world have parents that will vehemently oppose a charter school in that community. In my view, under the wrong presumption that they don't need a charter school when you really have to measure, like, you have to get granular, right? Like, even in Montclair... How about, that was my next, because I've seen them fight. an unacceptable achievement gap in Montclair. Right. And so, which, you know, I don't want to slam Montclair. No, no, definitely. Local definitely. office, school district, I, I'm rooting for Montclair school district, but no one, I think, would be proud of the achievement gap within Montclair. And so, from, from your point of parent empowerment, I do think it doesn't matter a charter school located where it's, you know, whether it's uh, an urban district or suburban. I'll, I'll use my example again. I, you know, my main campus is located in Franklin Township, which is considered suburban. Mm -hmm. And the total number of students in Franklin Township is 7,500, around 7,500. And the number of applications that I receive for my school is close to 2,000 from that township. So if 2,000 parents of your school Right, and then, then it tells you that there is a desire and need for, for a school like this. If this was an election, you would have a hard, a large percentage of the voting gap, yeah, the voting percentage, so it's like, whoa, the viable candidate. Yeah, so that is true. I mean, every district has its own challenges. And, yes. and if, if a charter school uh, has the potential to address those challenges or mitigate those challenges, let it happen. I mean, let the charter school be located in that district and such a community. And uh, I was going to bring up another issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, old, the approval process, you know, there are some other models of procrastination. For okay. example, county-wide charter school, meaning that the charter school can serve the entire county. I mean, typically, counties are more diverse and township because I'll use Somerset County or, or Middlesex County. Mm -hmm. Middlesex County you have high colorful areas and you have other areas. So when you serve the entire county and uh, it, it, it's a high likelihood that your, your student body is going to be more diverse and I do think it's a good opportunity. But the challenge in New Jersey is the approval process. The more area that you include in your petition, the more political fight 
you're going to get into at the time of approval. You're going to get more objections from the local district and the superintendents and all that. So it discourages the petitioners, even if you have a successful you know, model that you demonstrate that. It encourages you to include more areas at the time of applications for your attendance. You know what I mean? So there is this as well. See, I do think if, if the goals, I'm not sure if it has to be the priority, honestly. Like I said, I'm up for serving particular community and ele- elevate that community, like Newark, Camden, Perth, Boys, where you have high rate of uh, minorities and, and low-income families. I do think that's a perfect for charter school operation. But if the, if the ultimate goal is more balanced, balanced in quotation, or more diverse student budget, then the, the structural change has to happen at the state level as far as the charter law is concerned. But I, I'm not quite sure if it has to be the priority. The priority, I just think, is to serve particular group of students and elevate the entire community. So regardless of the percentage or the racial distribution in that that's yeah. my personal view. That, and then I thank you guys. Um, unfortunately, it always happens to me. We get caught up into it, and the time is flying by. Yeah. So we're actually at our um, last 15 minutes of this um, discussion. So I definitely love to um, leave the parents with um, some some energy, some some action that we can be engaged in from whichever fashion you believe that should be from and I would like to give you both the opportunity to close out with, you know, like I said, the messaging or just some more information you think maybe have been missed in this um, conversation that you definitely want to throw into before we close out and give you guys both the opportunity to close that. So I'm going to start with Dr. Because yeah. you started first. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Sergey. Well, uh, well, thank you so much. This is so, a great conversation. And uh, I do think the parent empowerment is very important, regardless of the area, regardless of the location. The parents should be provided opportunities, preschool choice, additional preschool choice option. And I don't think the fate of a child should be tied into the zip code. That's that's very important and critical. I don't think, you know, when you use the the balanced demographic in quotation. I don't think, uh, in, in some cases, counterproductive. And I do think the focus should be the mission of the charter school uh, that's going to serve particular communities. And regardless of the demographic, the demographic, regardless of the racial distribution, and every child deserves the right to, for, a, for a quality education. And, and it has to be granted the child. And that the, rather than focusing on the, the racial distribution whatsoever, the focus has to be on the mission of the charter school and the need for that particular area that's proposed for a charter school. And, and also, can you dive a little, um, one more time into that energy you said as far as us culturally not accepting that it could be something quality in our community and as it expands to other communities, we're somehow maybe close to understand that we can grow and move into other um, areas and still receive the same quality. Because I definitely think um, our parents should 
hear a little more about that and maybe even turn that into some some energy that we can even dig into later on some other time because that was something I definitely think I took away that was powerful. We had, we're, and I use this part of me, we're incarcerating our minds on what we can really do in 2019. And one of those things is you don't have to stay right here. You can have the same quality expand. So, and you were chomping on that. Well, chartered schools are, are meant to serve as a, as a as laboratory, right? And when you have a successful chartered school, uh, in operation, that chartered school has to be granted an opportunity to replicate the model in, in other locations. And it only makes sense. And, and, and like I said, Overall, the chartered schools are serving three plus percentage of the entire student body in the state of New Jersey. And uh, when there is a high need, rather than focus on, on the political pressure, rather than focusing on other litigations whatsoever, the need has to be identified and the right program uh, has to be identified, right education program has to be identified and implemented in those communities. And, and in that case, it takes a village mm-hmm. to increase the awareness among the community members. And the, by empowering, by increasing the, the awareness within the communities, by empowering the parents, and that, that, that they should get the same quality level of education that other students get in uh, high socioeconomic uh, areas, then I do think it's where we should begin and 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 educate our or reach out our legislators and elected officials that you know inform them that there is a need and that need has to be taken care of and there's a desire for additional school to adoption. And then I do think we have to take it from there and then hopefully uh, our legislators are more mindful <laughs> uh, of the need and desire that uh, you know, putting out by the community. Nah, listen, you, you hit something, um, I'll pass it over to you, Tom. You hit something when you were speaking of how we're a small population of the grand scale of um, students in the state, 1.4 million students, yet charters are serving 50,000 of those students. But one thing that you have brought as an idea and where I was, I'll, now I'll see maybe another option, we got 30-something thousand on the waiting list. But they had the opportunity to go wherever charter school that was open and available for a seat. And there's a whole nother population of parents who could now obviously have to be able to do it or will find, but that's 35,000 people who definitely want more of what 50 plus thousand already receiving. So to your point, it's definitely showing a wave of need. So Tom, I'll turn it over to you. Um, we got 10, um, 10 minutes left. Definitely want to give you a large percentage to um, give our parents some more you know, solid to walk off with. But I, I think it's a it's a helpful exercise to um, try to block out the noise mm. around public school choice and and get back to basics. And if you look, if you open up the the statute books and you actually read the charter school law, there's a section that states its policy goals, right? So its policy goals are to encourage educational innovation. That's the laboratory reference that you that you made. Um, it's to provide um, uh, a meaningful choice for parents. It's to enhance accountability. That, that word, accountability, is in the charter school. I'm not aware of that word 
being in any other charter, any other school law than the charter school law, accountability, right. and uh, and parent empowerment. So those are the the goals. They they are purposely intended to be different than the status quo. That's why charters exist. They're supposed to offer a meaningful choice. Um, the noise around charters can be discouraging. And so if I'm speaking directly to parents, my my statement is keep the good fight because you have a lot of um, interests that are advocating against empowering you in your children's educational lives. Um, if you go to a, a traditional school district, you know it's a kind of an exercise that maybe like nerdy school lawyers do, and that's about it. But a helpful exercise is look at a typical suburban school district board meeting agenda. Okay. Right? right. And see the things that are discussed, the amount of time devoted to various things, and ask yourself, how much of that was actually devoted to enhancing educational outcomes for students? Right. How much of it was devoted to managing tensions between um, the staff and the administration, the administration and the board, um, how much of it was student-focused? So when you, when you are student-focused, then you, you see results, like we see in Perth Amboy and Somerset, where your schools are, Dr. Surgeon, uh, in Newark and Camden, where you are performing in the local district. And when, you, when the parents think of themselves at the center of this process, and they're the ones who are, who are advancing the educational interests of their children, and they're deciding for themselves. Um, I think if you look at it from like an empowerment point of view, it, it can be much more encouraging. Because if you look at it upon, all right, am I on the controversial side of this public mm. debate? It could be discouraging, and I, and I respect that. Um, but if you think of yourself being at the center of your children's educational universe, which parents are, um, and how charter schools kind of empower parents, um, then I think that's the correct mindset. And it manifests in a lot of ways. One is to be an advocate uh, in the principal's office for your children as part of the process. Uh, another is to be an advocate in Trenton, to going on, on buses or carpooling and going to Trenton for, um, you know, for marches at the state house. Um, you know, it's about appearing at a local legislator's office if there is a movement to try to increase attention over a particular charter school issue. Um, it's having respectful but informed discussions with your neighbors who are saying, oh, we charters, so you're draining money away from my kid's school district. Um, and um, it, it's, that's, I think, the right approach to take. Uh, um, being in a school district that doesn't have a charter school, um, I'm sensitive to sort of the knee-jerk, uninformed response, but What's important is you overcome that and you educate people, you let them know really the dynamic that exists that require a little bit of the peeling of the onion. But once you realize what's there, mm -hmm. it's pretty clear the path that you want to take. I appreciate you guys. And that's definitely the candid conversation and in-depth um, conversation. And here at PEP, you know, we want to thank you for your time and your wisdom. And it's such an important topic because education, as I was talking to you, is this is our second conversation on this, is very 
deep, you know, when we use words like segregation and just bringing, you know, conversation to the table. I want to invite other parents to continue to listen in and, you know, send me comments and questions about this show, about the things that we discuss. Because once again, this is just a platform. Not saying that I'm the guru and know everything. Not saying you guys are, but you guys are definitely experts in the energy and time you put into this subject matter, which I know is it was was put in. So um, we only um, only have one life to live, and everything less than that is unacceptable when it comes to our children. We got twelve free years of education, you know, that we have been given, and I don't have. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have the time to play and to roll the dice on my children's lives, and I have to go where, you know, is is best fit. And unfortunately, and I'm one of those parents where we can afford, and we're blessed to have other options. So I definitely want to thank you again, and anybody that's watching and listening, please listen in and to us on um www parentsengagingparents.org, our website where you can continue to hear this broadcast and others. And also check us on Facebook, Instagram, where we continue this conversation. And you'll see um, parents comment. And feel free to um, you guys to join in that conversation because, once again, I just want to make sure parents have the resources that they need to make the best decision. And sometimes it's a it, – we don't – I know – I know it might cost me thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to have a conversation with you. It may take me another half a million to get you to come and build a school in my community. Yet this hour of engagement goes so far to our parents and to other people to get some real information. And if they want to challenge it, challenge it. Because I believe in organizing what we need to do for education. We do have to disorganize a lot of the stuff and bring new visions and ideas to the table and one of the ways to do that is to you know agitate i'm not saying antagonize because that's what i see happening in the charter world the antagonize versus you know you know just challenging things because it's a 20 year old law so i get this change that has to happen that's the only thing inevitable is change so i get that but to demolish and deep six and throw it off the cliff when it's one of the most effective educational tools that's starting to happen in our country, let's let's hold off on that. So once again, guys, thank you so much. You I look so forward much. to continuing engagement. Feel free, you guys are citizens of the Patterson, I'm the parent engaging parent um, energy community. We look forward to you and feel free to you know use me as as a tool to um, do anything I could do to help push the voice of the parents and their choice because the quality and design education here in New Jersey is definitely our full responsibility as parents. We are definitely the first teachers. We give you the opportunity to engage our children, and we thank you for the energy you put. Yet, we're going to challenge, and I want parents to understand that we're going to challenge, and we're not just going to sit back idly. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.